0: Back, everyone to another episode of the Startup Speaker Series. I am excited today to have Quinn Morgan with us. He is another UC Davis alumnus, so it's always wonderful to have someone from the family join us. So thank you, Quinn, for, for being here with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to uh, talk with all of you students.
0: Now, I like to start with you giving a it- an introduction and starting by giving an introduction to what you're working on right now. So can you give us the pitch for WorkOna to let us know a little bit about what you do and why we should care that you exist?
1: Yeah, certainly. Yeah, so you know perhaps I can give just a little bit of uh, context and history to you know where the idea initially came from My co-founder Alma and I first met at Lucid software. I'm not sure if any of you students are familiar with Lucid chart uh, diagramming uh, program or Lucid press, but that was essentially, you know, one of the first cloud applications on the market. They launched, uh, you know, very soon uh, after, you know, Google Drive launched and so uh, we're very early in that push away from essentially everything being done in desktop software, like you know Microsoft Word, to really moving to you know cloud software like Google Docs. And so, essentially, you know what Workona helps people do uh, is organize all of those various cloud documents and resources into what we call workspaces. So essentially, you know all of those different apps are accessed through a web browser and are just generally scattered, you know, across those different platforms and apps. And it's very uh, difficult to be able to pull all of those different documents you need or Figma mockups and Airtable bases and GitHub repos and all the other pieces of a project that are uh, essentially scattered across the web into one place for a project. And so that's really what Workona does. Uh, Our workspaces help people keep everything for a project in one space.
0: Fantastic. Now, we had a couple questions about competitors. Now, do you, besides the do-nothing competitor, who do you consider your competitors, and how do you differentiate yourself?
1: Yeah, certainly. So you know, what I would say is Workona is really creating a category here, which is uh, you know, both a challenge as well as you know, a, a fun thing to work on, where we essentially sit at a higher level than most of the other cloud applications um, that exist currently today. And so people often say, you know, how would you compare Google Drive versus Workona? Or how would you compare Monday.com you know, versus Workona? and uh you know essentially what we say is we aren't trying to compete with those products we really are the solution that helps you tie all of those different uh, applications together for a project so rather than trying to convince you to you know replace all of your existing tools like you know some other Uh, platforms like ClickUp, you know, claim to do, we're not trying to convince you to use different tools. We're saying, hey, keep using your favorite tool with your team. And we're just essentially going to give you a single source of truth for a, a project.
0: So tell us about your founding story for Workona. So where did this idea come from to create this platform?
1: Yeah, certainly. So I would say that the uh, initial glimmer of the idea was a problem that I had faced in my own, you know, work at Lucid Software, you know, years before I ended up having the idea for Workona, And it really came, you know, from my work juggling 10 different projects as a project manager and trying to throw, you know, poor fitting solutions at that problem. So essentially I tried keeping bookmark folders and uh, you know, found that they would rapidly fall out of date. The you know, Google Docs that I care about this week are not the Google Docs I care about next week. And so they just really rotted, as I like to say, uh, a little bit too quickly. And it was a lot of the same problem with trying to keep, you know, a, a master project document, you know, within Google Docs with all the various links and pieces of a project. It's just a little bit too cumbersome to update and uh, and really didn't keep up with modern work. Workona essentially now, you know, integrates with uh, the actual market leading browsers. And so we, you know, preserve... Um, you know, what you're working on actively, constantly auto saving the tabs that you have open within those workspaces. And really, uh, we found that it helps people, you know, uh, keep organized a lot better in this world of, you know, constant onslaught of uh, new information.
0: Awesome. All right, I'm going to a question from Patrick, about when you decided to pursue entrepreneurship, because Workona isn't your first venture. Um, No, it's not. So what is it that inspired you to create your first venture? When did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, I would say uh, there wasn't really one moment that I remember that I I remember saying, aha, now this is uh, what I want to do with my future. You know, essentially, I believe it came at some point during my senior year at UC Davis, Uh, I had essentially launched a 60 student, 20 faculty member, student-run nonprofit called Wild Campus uh, in my last year there at UC Davis. And so essentially, I think it was really that moment of seeing an idea that I had totally made up, uh, come to fruition and be, you know, an 80-person organization that really worked That I really had that aha moment about that, um, you know, that was something that was possible and it very much excited me and I was uh, certainly hooked from there on.
0: Awesome. Um, A question from Ilias. Do you think it's necessary to figure out the technology behind your startup idea yourself or is it enough to have an idea and then to go out and outsource it to someone else to build it for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So if the question is, do I think you have to be a technical uh, founder to be able to be a founder of a startup? Absolutely not. I am not a technical founder. Um, You know, my co-founder essentially wrote all of the code for the first version of Workona. And, you know, what I find is a more important skill set if you are, you know, from that non-technical background, is to build up the other pieces of uh, the skill set around you know, user experience and design. You know, one thing that I've found has been very helpful uh, that is a skill that's easy you know, to learn watching some YouTube videos and things is to build very detailed mockups within you know, an app like Figma. And so essentially what you're able to do is paint a vision of what you see as you know, the, the future of what your product could be. And that doesn't require you to write any code whatsoever. You're going to be able to you know, use those mock-ups uh, to really paint a picture for that technical co-founder you're trying to convince to come on board uh, or you know, those initial customer conversations you know, and, and really get some validation for that your idea has legs. Uh, And in fact, in our case, I believe those mock-ups actually had a very large role in raising our first pre-seed round. And so it's pretty critical. And I would say, uh, even to this day, I use those mock-ups very, very frequently as a way to essentially run ahead of where our current product Envision is at at the time.
0: Awesome answer. That's very helpful to know. Um, Another question from Patrick. What would you say has been the most significant challenge you've had running Workona?
1: Yeah, so as I mentioned, uh, Workona is really aiming to create a whole new category that doesn't exist. We're, you know, hoping to uh, create a a space where people are uh, able to, you know, organize that work at a higher level, but it's not really a software category that exists today. And so that's, I think, probably the, been the biggest challenge for us is just carving out that um, area and convincing people that this is a, a product that deserves to exist in the world. Of course, you know, we have many very passionate users and once they've learned what Workona does for them, uh, they, they certainly don't require any convincing. But, you know, as we now are starting to uh, try to convince Companies to purchase software, people who have never seen Workona and experienced the value firsthand, it's a bit more of a challenge to uh, convince them to do that when they don't already have that budget line item uh, in place already. And so, you know, I'd say the other side is also a, a huge challenge if you go into an existing category suddenly it's much easier because they have the budget line item, but you now have to convince them why you're better than the you know, market leader in the space that's been at it for 10 years. And so both paths are pretty challenging, uh, but I would say, you know, mostly it's been trying to figure out how to message something that is new in the world um, and really you know, what it should look like without having any examples of uh, existing products to look uh, to.
0: You definitely are doing something that a lot of people aspire to be able to do. So I, I hope that this continues to go well.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that.
0: Michael has a team question. So sure. what values guide you in creating a positive work environment? I'm go- we're going to assume that you have a positive work environment.
1: I, I hope so. Certainly. I like to think so. So what I would say is, uh, you know, there's only so much that you can actually do as a a founder and CEO. I often talk about, um, you know, that the, you know, company culture is essentially, you know, made up as much from the employees as it is from, you know, the leadership top down. And so one of the critical pieces that we really live by is something that I will uh, perhaps bleep out the bad word in this, but the no a-hole rule that was popularized by a management professor at Stanford, um, Robert Sutton. And essentially, the idea is that a lot of tech companies, especially, will hire incredibly talented people who are maybe a little bit more difficult to work with. Uh, they think that they are, you know, God's gift to the planet and uh, are able to, you know, treat people maybe a little bit poorly because of that. And so that's a, a real hard line that we've drawn in our hiring process. And if we feel like there's any hint at that somebody's going to be, you know, difficult to work with and maybe not a team player, uh, then, you know, that's a, a deal breaker for us pretty quickly. So just having people in the door who are all all are on the same page about, you know, making sure that it is a good work environment, I think uh, makes a lot of difference. Similarly in our hiring process, we always uh, really focus on passion for what we're building. That's again, something that I think helps a lot just uh, by virtue of having people care the most about the product we're building and what users really want and success of their users uh is far more important than maybe their internal politics or you know their career aspirations. And so as soon as you have people aligned on those things, uh then the conflict is in a much healthier area, I think. You know, a lot of friction still certainly happens when people disagree about what the best path for our users and the product might be. Uh, But that's a much healthier source of conflict than say, you know, politics.
0: Awesome. It sounds like you read Jim Collins um, with this whole idea of getting the right people on the bus. That sounds like a star, yeah.
1: Yeah, (laughs) certainly.
0: All right, Annabelle would like to know what previous experiences helped you to start your companies?
1: So I would say, you know, for me personally, and I, I won't say that this is necessarily the path that everybody should take, but working at a startup was by far the most impactful for me in my startup journey. Um, almost everything that I learned that I'm now implementing at Workona, I learned at Lucid Software. And so trying to, you know, essentially join a startup that's in a space that you're interested in, and ideally it's, you know, large enough so they know what they're doing and, uh, you know, you'll be able to actually learn from them, but also small enough that you're going to have an opportunity to, you know, wear lots of hats and, you know, really be able to learn lots of different parts of the business just by virtue of them being you know, short on enough hands to do all of the work, uh, that certainly is, is probably the most impactful thing that I was able uh, to do. And a big part of that also is about you know, finding the people that you might start your future company with. So you know, I know I, there were lots of smart people at UC Davis, but uh, I, I didn't actually meet many people who were interested in entrepreneurship during my time there. And so it was, you know, pretty critical for me to meet my co-founder at Lucid. I met my VP of marketing at Lucid. We have many of our talented employees, our ex-Lucid employees. And so I think that, you know, being able to convince those talented people across different roles within a tech company just wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't worked there and they had seen my work ethic and, uh, and really learned, you know, who I am and what I'm all about.
0: All right. Zach has a question for you here. Go ahead, Zach. So with a lot more um, technical people, it's kind of a bit more obvious, like, if they're a technical founder, they can bring programming experience, they can build the app or whatever. But as a non-technical CEO, I guess it's a bit harder to see what you can bring to the table. So, like, what does a non-technical person bring to the table?
1: Yeah, certainly. So I would say, you know, my role as product manager back at Lucid as a, you know, non-technical uh, product manager back then is very similar to, you know, what I bring to the table still today, you know, at Workona. Um, of course, I, I like to think that in terms of company strategy and, you know, that level of uh, working on the business, you don't really actually need to have as strong of a technical underpinning. I knew almost nothing about, uh, you know, actually coding and, and technology when I first joined Lucid. I now have certainly, you know, gained enough of the skill set that I'm able to, you know, distinguish what is possible and what's going to be very difficult, and you know, able to look at APIs and, and see, you know, okay, great, we'll be able to use that to do this, uh, and so you do certainly pick up a lot of those skill sets over time. Um, But it's really about, you know, talking to users. That's another piece that I would say, that's one of my top recommendations for you guys as students is build something people want. Uh, You know, if you are able to, you know, talk to your users and validate your ideas, you know, from the get-go as well as along the way, you know, that's one of the most important uh, pieces. And that is certainly something that my co-founder is also very involved in. He joins many of those meetings. But doing those discovery, you know, uh, questions about exploring what the problems that they face in this area that you're going to be building in, um, you know, or even what your solution might look like, and showing them those mockups that I talked about—all uh, of that is really, you know, nothing to do with technical, and essentially very much validating that this is something that people want in the world. Uh, you know, I believe that non-technical founders are are just as capable. Of uh, you know creating that that level of the product. Now, in terms of the actual translating that into how that is achieved technically, that is fully my co-founder's uh, role as well as you know the development team. Um, and so you know it's a it's a bit of both are required really to bring that to life. And I've just specialized in a, a bit more of the uh, user facing side.
0: Any other questions? Yes, go ahead. This is a similar question so what if you are someone who isn't a technical person and maybe has an idea and you're starting to want to you know find people who are on the on the tech side what would you look for in like a does have yeah you know, someone, who how to know someone who is an engineer
1: certainly yeah, so I will say it's fairly tough from the outside looking in, you know, to find a technical co-founder just because it's, it's hard as a non-technical founder to judge technical skill sets. I'd say even as we are hiring, it's hard for my CTO who is technical to judge somebody's technical capabilities during the hiring process. And so, you know, what I would say is back to what my initial advice was, go work for a startup. And it becomes very obvious who the best uh, technical people are that are working at that company. You'll see them, you know, cranking out features. They, of course, will be esteemed by all the other folks who uh, hopefully are talented and also work there. And uh, so that's one of the, that's certainly the way that I found my co-founder. I'm not sure uh, if I would want to, you know, find a technical co-founder out of, Um, you know, a a list that I wasn't really able to get a good sense of their capabilities. The other piece of that, something that you really want to find in a co-founder. And, you know, I will say I I learned these two lessons, maybe the hard way uh, is to make sure that you've really got good trust in your co-founder and, you know, have really worked with them for a long period of time. I will say, you know, my co-founder relationship is maybe not, quite as deep as my marriage, but it is pretty dang close. And so, you know, you really wanna think about, uh, you know, who you are getting married to, so to speak, uh, before you, you know, jump off on that journey together. One of the key pieces there for sure, and again, this is a piece I learned the hard way, is that lots of people have, uh, you know, different risk tolerances, right? Some people are very tolerant of risk and some people are pretty risk averse. And really understanding, you know, not only where you sit on that spectrum, uh, but also really having those hard conversations with a potential co-founder to understand where they are and their comfort about, you know, shooting for the moon and, uh, and, you know, maybe at times making uncomfortable leaps. That's something that's pretty important. You know with my first startup uh, cause that was i would say probably one of the main reasons that i ended up um, shutting that company down i had a pretty hard uh, moment where i had gone on my honeymoon and a copycat competitor had launched uh, right during that period and that was quite a punch to the gut and uh, unfortunately, it ended up being a bit too stressful for you know my current co-founder at the time. He decided that it was just a little too much for him and uh, decided to step away from the business. And so suddenly, I had a, a product that was out there, uh, but no technical co-founder uh, to you know continue building building the business. So it's as much
0: about finding someone with the right skills as as it is finding someone who. Shares your mindset with regards
1: to product, right? And I think that's a very good way to put it. You know, I think that uh, not all startups are risky like that. If you, you know, are not shooting for the moon, then a lot of that uh, certainly goes away. If you wanted to start a, you know, small consulting agency, you know, doing website design, I think that that becomes much less important. Um, So really making sure that you're aligned on what you hope that this company will become someday is is definitely a huge piece of that.
0: Okay, Joshua has a couple of personal questions. So there's a lot of stress in this new venture development game. How do you manage the stress?
1: Yeah, I will say... I don't know that I do manage the stress uh, or that I've got that perfectly down. You know, Building a startup is something that is very, very stressful and uh, there's a lot to be done and you know, only so many hours in the day. Uh, this is gonna sound like a shameless plug, but I honestly, without Workona, I'm not sure that I really would be able to do it. And a big part of that really is not so much Workona, but finding an organizational system that really works for you. And something that will allow you to essentially, you know, keep all of those balls in the air and, uh, you know, make sure that you are able to stay focused on one piece at a time. I think that uh, there's sometimes so much going on, there's, you know, fires burning and it can be difficult uh, to be productive when you feel the full weight of all of those issues at the time. And so being able to really, you know, focus in on just, you know, one project or initiative that you deem is the most important uh, is is a huge part of just getting through that. Um, You know, I will say also, I would never trade anything for the world for, uh, you know, what I do here at Workona. I really, really enjoy startups and, you know, plan to do it for the rest of my life. But the stress is a, a huge part of that. And, um, you know, it's a a double edged sword to be so passionate about something and care so deeply about it, but that's exactly the source of that stress.
0: Okay. So there's so much to do. I at least know that you have enough time to maintain the garden. So you've got at least a little bit of a personal life. You mentioned a wife, so you found someone who's willing to stay with you through all of this. Yes. How do you manage to have a personal life while also having a career that you could do 24 hours a day?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I will say, and this is similar, you know, to the answer around the culture question, you know, my co-founder and I are both very passionate about work-life balance. And, uh, you know, we really have both burned out in past roles. And so we understand the impacts that that has not only on, of course, the employee or me, uh, you know, but also on the company. You know, if you end up having somebody who is, you know, not productive for, you know, three, maybe even six months because they've just burned out working too hard, you know, that's certainly not going to be a healthy situation or a good thing even for the startup. And so, you know, I do think it's very important to, you know, try to turn off your brain as much as you can in those times uh, when, when you're not actually at work. Um, but I will say it's, it's difficult. You know, it's something that uh, I think about workona essentially constantly. You know, I think about it in the shower. I think about it when I'm going to sleep, when I'm on walks. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes when I'm out with my wife or friends or family, and, uh, you know, I will say that that's something that I am still working on. You know, I wish I, I had the answer for you, but I would say, you know, working on something that you're really passionate about matters a lot. Um, the work that I do for Workona, I really enjoy, as I mentioned. And so, you know, I, I'm very passionate about it and uh, that's a huge part of the reason why I'm motivated to think about it so frequently. And so it's it's again just a double-edged sword of um, you know the, the passion you have for your own project and that it is your own baby you're just uh, you know very likely to be thinking about that that baby around the clock.
0: Awesome. So I I love the honesty of the still trying to figure it out, um, haven't mastered it quite yet. But it sounds like for you it's a good problem to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Certainly.
0: All right, let's rewind some and go back to college. Um, So can you share a little bit about some of your decisions that you made about what you were studying, what experiences you had in college, and then how you, it looks, it feels like a sharp right turn to then go off into the world of technology. So can you just help us to understand a little bit about who you were in college and the decisions you made in your early career?
1: Of course, yeah. Yeah, I certainly uh, am, am not shy about that. I've taken a, a pretty windy path to where I am, you know, today. Essentially, you know, I had uh, I'd worked in sales a little bit while I was, you know, working or excuse me, in college and uh, was pretty passionate also about wanting to make a difference in the world. I think that um, this is something that a lot of students really feel very passionate about. We've got climate change and you know, especially our natural world is, uh, is deteriorating pretty quickly. And so that was something that was very near and dear to my heart and a, a problem that I wanted to work on. And so essentially I decided that I wanted to go into fundraising for conservation because of that. So working as a nonprofit fundraiser, and I felt that it was important for me to really understand the science of what I was raising money for. And so that was the main motivation for me, you know, going into uh, wildlife conservation fisheries biology. So, um, you know, while I was there in my senior year, as I mentioned, uh, I actually helped co-found two different student-run nonprofits. So one of them was We Are Aggie Pride, which I believe is a student emergency assistance fund now. Um, That was from the Cal uh, Alumni Association, as well as uh, Wild Campus, as I mentioned and so, you know, that was really where I got the bug for, you know, starting something from scratch and and bringing it into the world, and started to, you know, f- learn about social enterprises, and that was, you know, a, a movement that was just starting at the time there, and I became, you know, fairly interested in that even at college, uh, but once I left college and started working, you know, doing fundraising for nonprofits. You know, I I won't get into the reasons why I felt like nonprofits maybe weren't the right place for me, Uh, but I did feel like um, social enterprises really represented a space that innovation was very welcome and that I was able to, you know, move just a little bit faster, have a little bit more experimentation uh, mindset. And so, you know, as I, I mentioned, really wanted to, you know, gain those initial skills, you know, learn how to start a startup. And that was really where I started looking for jobs on AngelList uh, to be able to find a role that I felt would help me learn the ropes of how to start a startup. So that was where I stumbled across that product manager job. Uh, for you know lucid software. And I had actually used Lucid Chart during Wild Campus to you know map out some of the systems and you know really knew that I loved the product. was very excited that uh, they happened to be located in in Utah where I was at the time. And so I applied for that job you know despite being uh, quite underqualified based on the actual you know job description. I remember it saying, uh, you know, requires four years of uh, experience managing a global product. And I, of course, barely knew what product management was at the time. Uh, But, you know, I will say I really attribute, you know, me getting my foot in the door at that company to a a single email that I wrote. And uh, this is another piece of advice that I really would want to impart on you guys you know, find that dream job. And and especially if it's an early stage startup, write an email to the founders of that startup. And just, you know, frankly, that that letter might have been better described as a love letter to their product. I was uh, very, very passionate about their product. And that was pretty clear. in what I wrote, of course, I sold myself uh, as, as best as I can. But um, I really, you know, think that that letter got me in the door and my passion through the interview process really got me that job, despite maybe not having traditional qualifications uh, for the role. Yeah, once I was at Lucid, I really caught the bug on software. Of course, I, you know, went to found CauseGood after my time at Lucid once I had felt like I had learned what I needed to learn. And, uh, you know, CauseGood was a social enterprise Um, I ended up deciding that it was maybe a a path that I was struggling with and connected with uh, my current co-founder Alma during the end of that process there as I was starting to consider pivots from the initial idea that Cosgood started with. I pitched Alma, you know, on what that pivot would be. And he said, well, not so interested in that idea, but definitely interested in starting a company with you. And so that was really where we started to talk about, well, what are the ideas that interest both of us? And, uh, you know, we talked about lots of different ideas, some of them social enterprises, um, but we ended up, you know, landing on that uh, problem that both of us felt very, very passionate about with our background with cloud software and uh, the rest is history.
0: I just want to skip. There's, there's one little step in there that I, maybe I miss. Sure. The decision to leave Lucid. Yeah. What prompted that decision?
1: Yeah. So I I really joined just to, you know, learn how to start a startup. Uh, You know, I was out there in Utah in the beginning just because my wife had been accepted to a dental school out there. And so it was a a bit of serendipity for me to be, you know, out in Utah at all. Um, But, you know, funny story, I actually came up with the idea for Cosgood about a week into, you know, working for Lucid. I remember meeting with the CEO and saying, hey, so I've come up with this startup idea. Uh, It involves nonprofits, and they really only work during the weekdays. So, you know, I'm I'm hoping maybe I can work Saturdays instead of Tuesdays so that I can spend Tuesdays validating, you know, this product, this uh, startup idea. And I remember him saying, I don't think you quite understand the importance of the role you've been hired for here. Which uh, he was right; I, I didn't. Uh, but ask that I really give you know my full focus to Lucid Press, uh, you know, during my time there, you know, which I did. And so I will say, you know, I was there for three years, and you know, during the last year, probably I started to work on Cause Good again on the side. I was very passionate about that idea, you know, from the moment that I had first come up with it. And, uh, you know, it was a confluence of me really feeling like I had learned what I needed to learn there and that I was ready to spread my wings and, you know, do my own thing. Uh, but it also, you know, helped that uh, my wife had just graduated from dental school. And so essentially, you know, we were ready to move back to California. And so that, that certainly did have a big piece of uh, my decision on the timing. Lucid was a wonderful organization though. I would still be working there, I think. Uh, if I hadn't had an interest to do my own thing.
0: That's a good review. Okay, Chris has a question about the difference in being an employee versus being a founder. So you worked for Lucid, you were at a tech company, it was a startup, you were driving the launch of a new product. What are the main differences between having that type of role within another organization versus being the man on top and the founder?
1: Yeah, so Lucid Press really was essentially a, a startup within a startup, which was a, a reason why I was able to learn so much about how to start a company while I was there. You know, We were really put in charge of uh, you know, re-implementing all of the marketing and strategy and product and engineering systems, uh, all that had been created for Lucidchart initially. And so, you know, in getting to replicate all of that, we did certainly learn a, a lot, you know, not just in my role as, you know, product manager, um, but but really across, you know, different areas of the business. Later in my uh, time at Lucid, I even switched over to a role in enterprise sales and proved out their uh, sales process, um, stepped away from the product management side. But as I mentioned, you know, our my work, while I was at Lucid was very similar actually to the work that I do now, you know, as a product manager, uh, you know, it's often refo- referred to as CEO of the product. And I think that's certainly an app description. And so, you know, what I would say is, is unique about the role that I have now doing it as a founder is all of the, you know, piece outside of the product I really would say the product is one of the most important pieces to get right. If you don't have a, a working product that people want, then the rest of it really doesn't matter. Uh, but if you, you know, have achieved that, there's still a lot to learn you know on the, the company building side of things. So that's you know leadership skills and fundraising, recruiting, all of those were, were very new areas for me that I had not done so much while I was at Lucid. And so, you know, that's certainly been uh, where the, the bulk of the, you know, new challenge and new learning has been. And uh, I've really enjoyed that. I, I love learning about new areas and, and diving into them head first.
0: Awesome. Um, I thought that it would be really great since we had some time here to talk a little bit about the process of going up for investment dollars. Um, so first of all, can you Just explain to us, how did you know you were ready to actually seek investment money the first time you went out for investment for Rekona?
1: Yeah, so I would say, you know, the user interviews were a huge uh, place that we really gained the confidence that this was something that, you know, if we were to build it, people would want I had met with people across all these different departments within tech companies, and it was pretty clear that almost everybody had this problem. Uh, They were all struggling to manage their work, swimming in a sea of browser tabs and and docs and links. And so uh, that was a huge piece of where we really got the confidence uh, to raise that initial round I, I believe we did build an initial version of the product so that we had you know something to show, uh, and again you know that very detailed mock-up that was really the vision of what we felt like Workona could grow to become, uh, which you know at the time we were called Resume, uh, but that was really you know a key piece to get in place. Of course, putting together your pitch deck and you know all of that um, you know was was very critical, and that sounds like an easy activity but every one of those slides is essentially a project in and of itself, you know, figuring out what your market is and, and the market size, um, you know, being able to come up with what your marketing plan, your go-to-market, uh, you know, initiatives are going to be, you know, that was all very critical thinking that we needed to make sure that we felt confident in before we went and had those initial conversations. Um, so, you know, we started working with a, a few, you uh, VCs that worked, uh, you know, either with people that we knew or were somehow connected to Lucid, or you know, we were able to get introductions from from people in our network, and uh, you know, having a few conversations with those people can certainly, uh, you know, tell you very quickly whether or not you're ready. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I would say just generally, um, you know, things have moved. A lot more uh, stages have moved essentially earlier, and so what used to be, you know, uh, where you needed to be to raise your, um, you know, seed round uh, is now, you know, closer to Series A size. And um, you know, there's a pre-seed space, which is actually the first round that we raised, and that um, you know often requires quite a bit less in terms of initial traction and you know proof points. And so, you know, it's become easier and easier uh, to at least raise that first round. And, uh, you know, later rounds have become more challenging over time as well. Um, but it, it's certainly something that, once you've got a, a good plan and, you know, you've got some uh, c- potential customers that you're able to point to, uh, you know, that's, that's sometimes all that you need.
0: You make it sound so smooth. Uh, <laughs> is there anything that you wish if you were to start all over again, that'd be like, all right, this is important for Quinn to know in order to navigate this process that you didn't know the first time around.
1: Yeah, let me think about that. You know, I, I've shared a lot of the pieces that I think are, are most important. So, you know, working at a startup was certainly something that uh, I stumbled into. I, I believe that's one of the most important things for you know, the students to take away from this. Talking to your users, hugely important for sure. Um, You know, I would say that, uh, you know, one piece that I would say is really focusing on building what I would categorize as magical user experiences. Uh, You know, something that we really live by and I think has had a lot to do with our success of Workona so far is that if you just meet users' expectations on all of the different features of your product, uh, you're essentially only going to be good enough for them to keep using. But if you don't exceed their expectations, then you're unlikely to have them really love your product and and be willing to share uh, that product with other people and scream about it from the rooftops. And so, you know, one piece that I think we ended up learning along the way is just to figure out what those most important experiences are within your given product, and really try to nail them. You know, it's hard to justify sometimes that last twenty percent. You know, if you're able to get to check in the box with eighty percent of the effort, um, you know, to to really invest that last twenty percent is sometimes hard to justify versus moving to the next box to check. Uh, but if you do, then you can really you know, get to a place where you create evangelists out of your users. And uh, I believe that that's been a huge part of the reason why Workona has honestly primarily grown via word of mouth. And so um, as much as you're able to just blow people away with the you know, most important flows within your product, uh, that's certainly something that I think has been pretty important for our success so
0: far. Well, that's a wonderful lesson for us to learn. Thank you for those closing thoughts. Um, everyone, please join me in thanking Quinn for joining us today. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you all, I, I really enjoyed it.
0: And you have an open invitation. So the next time you're in Davis to visit your parents, come hang out at the Student Startup Center. We'll, meet, we'll get you some students to meet and hang out with.
1: Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Don. All
0: right, you have a wonderful day, Quinn.
1: You too.